sisters. If it's your first time listening to She Is Becoming, welcome to the show. We are a podcast of multi-generational women studying God's word, dedicated to being transformed by the renewing of our mind. You can find our episodes on whatever podcast platform you typically use and on the Minnesota Grace Church app and website. And please follow us on Instagram at She Is Becoming Podcast to catch our IG lives. We pray on there. We do really dope giveaways i mean this last giveaway we just did we gave away free tickets yeah to which an event is worth a lot and a hotel room uh yeah i wanted it so i'm just saying been right. <laughs> we almost entered it ourselves yes exactly so please follow us on instagram well without further ado i am your co-host delaney and i am here in the studio with my co-host bev and bev yes dear i just i have this question that i just need to ask you and nobody's going to know this question because we never do this on the show. But how has God been speaking to you lately? Oh, I took a big, deep breath at that. Yeah. And I just, you know, as I was thinking about that today, I thought, this is kind of where I'm at today. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, when to let things go. Yeah. And when to be offended or hurt mm-hmm. or when to speak up. You know, it's, it's like something comes at you and you're trying and I'm just the Lord has to teach me how to process all that in mm-hmm. an upright, righteous, godly, Christ-like way. Mm-hmm. And just and, how to discern what to do. Right, right. Because sometimes, you know, you do need to speak up. Yeah. Um, other times, you need to let it go. Mm-hmm. So that's, I've had a lot of different things over the past week or two that I've been having to do that. So that's kind of what God is teaching me now. Yeah, I mean, I hear you on that. I feel like that's really difficult, but I feel like this is where I love to learn from you mm. is because you do have more experience with these things than me. And so how you handle things and your discernment and your spiritual maturity, you know, I just would look, I look up to you. Oh, thanks, Delaney. So, thank you for sharing but that. But I haven't got it all figured out. <laughs> I know, I know. We know that. But also, like, it is cool when you see sisters who have just been doing the faith longer that you're like, okay, I can take some cues from you with this. Yeah, yeah for sure. And I do the same thing. Yeah. I have several friends, women friends that are 10 years ahead of me. And I've known them over the decades mm-hmm. and we've raised our children together. That's and cool. so I always saw what was ahead of us for, you know, 10 years down the yeah. road. So I think that's really, really, and it's biblical, right? It is really cool. Yeah. Multi-generational all yeah. day. Yeah. All right. Well, our sisters, are you ready for just a little bit of controversy today? Our podcast today is actually going to be on a super debated issue that the church usually has disagreements about, a difference in on. Um, I love this topic so much because it was actually one of the first topics I really studied that challenged me theologically, and it just gave me really this appetite for God's word. And so we hope it does the same for you. We hope that it's just going to bring you right back to the scriptures to study this for yourself. But this is also a really heavy talk, a really heavy topic. But we think it's one that is really important to talk about. And also just want to remind you that wading deeply into the waters of scripture has eternal significance. So this is important stuff. And we just hope that you see through this episode that these aren't like Bev and I's opinions. This is just us interpreting the very word of God. And that's a really important point here. 100%. So, you know... You're going to hear more scripture on this episode than most because mm-hmm. that is our 
baseline of truth in this topic especially and you need to hear it from God's word. Yeah, absolutely. So that's what you're going to hear today. And so in the past some have called this topic Augustus versus Pelagius, Erasmus versus Luther, or perhaps you've heard more commonly known would be Calvin versus Arminian. Different names for really the same debate, which is predestination versus free will. And so before we begin this conversation, we want to just lay some groundwork with some just definitions. Maybe you've never heard of these words before, and so we want to keep that in mind. And so these definitions that we got are from a book called Systematic Theology. 10 out of 10 recommend. It's a ride or die book for me. Um, So the first definition we have here is predestination or it it could be election. They're used pretty interchangeably. But um, on this episode, we're going to use predestination because it's it's more commonly used, I would say. And so predestination is an act of God before creation in which he chooses some to be saved, not on account of any foreseen merit in them, but because of his sovereign good pleasure. And so basically what this is saying is that God predetermined before the foundation of the earth, that that you would be saved and so this is yeah that you're chosen and so this isn't based on anything that you've done or not done but this is just totally based on his sovereignty and so then we have free will which a very general term for free will would just be like the ability to make willing choices that have real effects and so the definition of free will that we've chosen based on its alignment with scripture is described as voluntary free will i'm not sure if you've heard that before but um again we get this from this book systematic theology and and what it means is that god ordains that we will choose christ voluntarily so i just want you to sit with that for a second that's a lot to unpack god ordains that we choose christ voluntarily and so in the predestination versus free will debate there there's a different definition of what people believe about free will. Um, another another kind of definition would be described as absolute free will, where man has absolute control to accept or reject God and salvation. And so this is actually the type of free will that we're kind of going to be debating against today, just based off of the word of God. And so the last definition that we want to give is foreknowledge. So foreknowledge means the personal knowledge by which God thought of certain people in a saving relationship to himself before creation. So just keep those in the back of your mind. And so what we want to specifically discuss to discuss today is the role or lack thereof of predestination and free will in salvation. And so our format today is going to be just slightly different. It's going to be me really just asking Bev a lot of hard questions, controversial questions um, in relation to this predestination versus free will debate and this actually might be an episode you want to take notes on maybe a little bit more than the other ones but before we dive into this doctrinal debate I I also want to say this I just want to preface with this what you know to be true about God must transcend your hesitancies hesitancies with predestination I'll say it again what you know to be true about God must transcend your hesitancies with predestination this is a doctrine to be wrestled with because of its tension and unity, because of its beauty and offensiveness. And so this topic should really be met with an open hand and deep trust and prayerfulness to the Lord. So I think we're ready to begin, right? I think we are. We're ready. So we are ready. Let's let's just begin, Bev. Can okay. you can you tell us um, what does Scripture, what does the Bible say about our state or you know our station before we become a Christian? 
Yeah, and this is key to the whole debate mm -hmm. because this is where um, differences can really pop up, and this is really our first step in understanding what this means. Mm -hmm. um, I know I have struggled and wrestled with this issue my entire life teaching. I kept running into this yeah. thought of God choosing us and predestination, and then I'd see verses for free will. And I have read a ton on this and prayerfully approached mm -hmm. the Lord. And it's taken me a lot of years to kind of come to see what Scripture has really said. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, I always leave room for I can some of these I may be misinterpreting, yeah. but I think the general rule, you're going to get the general flavor of what scripture says after mm -hmm. you hear this today. So first of all, our original state, we've all inherited a sinful nature and we all choose to sin. So mm -hmm. both it's inherited and we choose it. So here are some scriptures and I know these are going to be familiar to you, but we need to understand our state before we can understand what God had to do to get us out of that state. There's no one righteous not even one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have become together worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. That's from Romans 3, 10 through 12. Then James 2, 10, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Mm -hmm. Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin and um, this was the way that death came to all people, 5:12 Romans. And then going on in Romans 5, verses 18 and 19, Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act, of course that is Christ and his death on the cross, resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of one man the many will be made righteous. Death through Adam as our race, head, brought us that sentence of death spiritually. So Christ, our new race head, race head gives his people life that's really what that's talking about is the headship within the uh, race of people we sometimes say it's not fair we inherited this from adam but is it fair that we inherit eternal life and righteousness from christ yep say that yeah yeah <laughs> we yeah. want to pick which one we inherit exactly yep. mm -hmm. exactly but the fact that we're able to inherit as a race as a group um, this righteousness or lack of righteousness is a really, it's a gift of God. Mm. And it was preparation for the gospel of Christ. And then finally, we can't d mention our state without Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's just sum it up. We are dead spiritually. How much can a dead person do? Can they do anything? Mm -mm. Uh, no. So how can we turn to God? We're dead. This is a key point, though. It is a key point in this whole subject today. And there's an illustration in Genesis 15 that really um, solidified a lot of what I was seeing in the Bible. In Gen I know it's an odd place to look for this, but in Genesis 15, here God is making a covenant with Abraham. 
And what he does here, he asks Abraham to get the, the bodies of these animals and to set these smoking pots all in a row. What they're doing here is an ancient uh, ceremony when there's going to be a covenant made. Mm. And then they cut the animals in half, and both sides of the thing agree that if they break the covenant, the you know this is what's going to happen to you. So here's Abraham, and God has asked him to make this covenant. Abraham prepares everything as God directs. But then, interestingly enough, Abraham falls, Scripture says, into the deepest of sleeps. He's knocked out by the, <laughs> by the Lord. He's right in the middle of this big moment, right, with God. Yeah. God knocks him out, and God alone. See, each party would walk down in the middle of those smoking pots and animal parts. God alone, in the form of a smoking pot, walked down between them and the animal parts where he was swearing to his covenant. This is what we call an unconditional covenant, mm -hmm. as is the New Testament. The gospel is an unconditional covenant. God, the giver of life, must initiate any hope for people who are dead in their sins. Yeah, I mean, it, like something like this requires something supernatural, like to cross from death to life. This, I, I don't get where we get where we think that a dead person can do this kind of stuff. Exactly. God must show us, first of all, that we're dead. This mm -hmm. is why it's such a, a great first step to really grasp. Yeah. The Holy Spirit must open our eyes to our deadness and our need for God because we don't feel a need mm -hmm. and we don't, we don't think we need forgiveness. Only that can come through Christ, the righteous one. It's God working in our life. Yeah. Okay. So, so we're hopeless. We're dead, <laughs> dead spiritually. Um, and we know that dead people can't come to God. So we're unable to come to God without like him making it happen for us. So why w does the Bible tell us to repent and believe? Like, aren't those works by us, like by our will? That was my, my question years ago. I kept thinking, it's by faith, but isn't then faith a work if I'm yeah. saved by that faith mm -hmm. and it's my faith in him? So these are deep questions, but so good to think about because, well, we'll give you many reasons as we go along here. Super important. First, I want us to go to Ephesians 1, 4, which will begin to help us to better understand. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Christ Jesus in accordance with his pleasure and will. Hmm. Oh, I love that verse. Yeah. God choosing us was not mechanical. Instead, our salvation came from his deep love for us and for a people to be the bride of Christ, his only beloved son. It was his pleasure and his will. Yeah. So God's predestination means we can have security in salvation as well. Mm -hmm. Because if it's up to us. We could break the covenant. Yes, we, we could. We could break our end of the bargain. Exactly. Since it's up to him. Since he, like you said, in Abraham, not Abraham 15. Genesis, Genesis 15 <laughs> did the covenant for right. us. That right. unconditional. We're secure. We are secure. Romans 8, 29 and 30, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren, of, and those whom he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Mm -hmm. So there is the progression in our, in our salvation. He, he, he um predestines us, he calls us, he justifies us, and then he is going to glorify us. Mm, I love that. It's all about him, isn't it? 
All the glory is for him. All the glory. Amen. So God's predestination of us is one of his greatest, it is his greatest blessing because nothing else can happen before that. He reveals his will for our lives in becoming holy and blameless before him. John 1 12 is helpful too. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Mm. I just underline that word, human decision. Yeah. John fifteen sixteen. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So the summary here is that God has indeed been the first cause in our salvation. He chose us not as an impersonal force, but because his, he set his love upon us and because of his grace. This is saying we can't take credit for our awareness of sin or our faith. But what motivated God? Again, his love and his generosity of grace toward whom he had chosen. Okay, I, I hear you on that part. But what about this question? I feel like this is always a big question is like, is this fair that God would choose some and not others? Like, how is that fair? Yeah, that's a hard one. And a lot of people are are just kind of stopped at that. But, you know, the Apostle Paul, he got that same question and he answered it beautifully. When you have time, listeners, go to Romans chapters 9 through 11. This is really helpful to see the um, a little bit bigger scope with this idea of predestination. Mm -hmm. I'm going to open my Bible here and read right from the scriptures from chapter 9 in Romans verses 10 through 21. Not only that, but Rebecca's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose in election, that's same predestination, might stand, not by works by him who calls, she was told. The older will serve the younger, just as, as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on human effort or desire, but on God's mercy. For scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose that I might display my power in you and my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us for who is able to resist his will? But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? So, wow, those are some powerful scriptures. That's something to wrestle with right there. It is. It is. And I I just challenge the readers to read it themselves and really get to the, Mm -hmm. the big truths there that Paul is bringing up. The truths about God that we can pull from these verses really state, first of all, that God is sovereign and his plans for the world and individuals are sovereign as well. How can we say, you know, sing the praises of God's sovereignty and yet would God leave our salvation up all to us? Hmm. It, it contradicts his character. It does. It does. So that's a, one of that point right there. I wrestled with for, I don't know, two or three years thinking through that, 100%. that very thought. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another truth out of these verses I just read is that God's mercy is given to those he chooses. 
you know, if we could earn his mercy, it would no longer be mercy. Then mm. it would be a payment, yeah. right, for our good deeds. God is free. When, he, when we say God is sovereign, he is free to give mercy wherever he, the potter, chooses. Mm-hmm. God is just in choosing some and not others. And really, he will be glorified either by his righteous wrath or by his sovereign grace to others. You know, God could have not chosen any of us. I feel like that is huge. Mm-hmm. Just even saying that. And just the recon- like the realization that like death is fair and grace is unfair. Yeah. Like I, what I deserve, like you said, like the verses you read for my sin, my, my penalty is death. And so grace is actually unfair to me because I'm getting something I don't deserve. Yeah. I, I always kind of cringe when people say I'm not getting what I deserve because I always think what what, what e- I deserve is hell. You shouldn't even be here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, for real. And then the final point from these Roman verses is that we must let God be God. Now, mm. we don't let God do anything because he's God after all. But we have to um, submit mm. to the fact that he's in charge and we're not. Yeah. So make no mistake, though. I have to, you have to backpedal a tad here. There is mystery here. To the end of these three chapters on election, Paul concludes with these words, and they're beautiful. It's praise from Romans eleven thirty three through 36. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments, his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. That's beautiful. It's a powerful way to end those three chapters. I love that he ends with praising God. And yes. The focus is always on God. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. All right. So let's move into this next topic here and around this. I want to ask you this one. Oh, you're going to ask me? I'm going to ask you this one. Okay. What does it mean that God foreknows us? So... Is that what predestination could be then? Just that God knows the future? Because many people yeah. read that word and they say, well, of course God knows that. A hundred percent. I actually hear this a lot too. It's a totally like a common argument against like the doctrine of predestination to say that foreknowledge just means that God looks into the future. He sees who will say yes to him. And then he just predestines that person. So interesting concept. I actually, when I started learning about this, thought that and asked the same question. Of course. And so this argument, once again, like detracts from the sovereignty of God and salvation. It it would still be us choosing God and then God choosing us because we chose him. So the, the focus gets back onto us. And so Romans 8, 29 says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And so proper interpretation of this passage really reveals that God is speaking of a foreknowledge of who we are, that God knows you, that God sees you. Like it's this relational foreknowledge, this relational intimacy here this of that picture. And then um, 1 Corinthians 8, 3 says that about it says, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. So that's just another like passage that backs up the fact that God knows us. Yeah, I love that. That's that's gives me security. Right? Yeah. It's crazy. No one else knows God, me like he does. And the God of the universe would want to know me? I know. I know. And know intimate, every intimate detail. That's crazy. Yeah. And that he still loves me. Okay. We yeah. can get <laughs> let's add that. that. <laughs> but like, let's just say. Um, and so another opposition is like that's often made against predestination 
um, is when speaking of the correlation between faith and works. So we actually see in James 2.14, it says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? And so continuing it on in James 2.17, it says, in the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And this, so this is not, but this is not an agreement that works in like things you do, like qualify you for salvation. Because out of Jesus's mouth, he said that you will know the believers by their fruit or the way that they live their lives. So good works and godly behavior are fruit of salvation, not of the tree. And so then we can go to Ephesians 2. 8 through 10, and it expresses this. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. Not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. Not wow, by couldn't works. say it more plainer right, right? there. Mm-hmm. Not by works, hello, so that no one can boast. And so absolute free will and salvation minimizes the power of God in salvation. A dead person, like we've said, a dead person cannot make a life-altering decision. A dead patient cannot accept the work of the doctor's life-saving hands. So God predestines us. He allows us to respond to the gospel with repentance, faith, in Jesus. And all of this is just totally and un- utterly dependent on him. We see in Romans 9, 19, it says, actually you just read it it says you will say to me then why does he still find fault for who can resist his will and so this this is a thought that i have often had when i'm wrestling with this is that if god was truly pursuing you for salvation could you say no to him and more importantly would you want to good question i feel like that's a thing we really got to think about like could you say no and like just knowing god would you want to say no Good question to think about. In Ephesians 2.10, it goes on to express the purpose of our predestination. It says, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so it tells us that we are image bearers and that our purpose is to reflect who God is through how we live our life. And so your receiving of salvation, your bearing of his name, and your purpose have all been ordained by God. And the reason that he knows you is because he chose you. So this foreknowledge is because is because he knows you. It's not him looking into the future. And the purpose of predestination is also really clear that it's to bring glory to God. We see this in Ephesians 1, 11 through 12. It says, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined. And it says at the end, to the praise of his glory. So I think all of that makes it pretty clear. But Beth, okay. I want to talk about this because this is always brought up. It so is. we're predestined. We, mm-hmm. You know, we, we've kind of established <laughs> that. Why share the gospel? Yeah. What about evangelism? That's, what? Is, yeah, why? I know. And this is often um, thrown in the mix of the questions for sure. So let's look at this just for a minute. First of all, when you hear something like that, remember that God uses means to accomplish his sovereign will. And those means are most often another human being to draw bring someone into salvation. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he'll use a vision or a dream in cultures where there's not a messenger, but very often it's through another human being. Yeah. Election actually is a great encouragement to evangelize because we know some indeed will respond. It's like going fishing with this great guide who says told you who tells you you will catch the big yeah. fish. You will. 100%. Yeah, so think how reassuring that is. Well, and predestination doesn't change it does right, like you said, it doesn't change the fact that there are still some who need to be saved. Right. Exactly. No, it doesn't change that. It does not. 
Now, the Apostle Paul went through so many great trials to share the gospel, and yet he writes a lot about predestination. Paul did not know who God had elected to salvation. He followed the leading of the Spirit and went where the Spirit led him and preached the gospel and taught scriptures to the people that God brought to him. So even as we look into Romans 10, it says, How can they believe on him whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? Paul is very clear about the fact that unless people preach the gospel, others will not be saved. So election is often something we can only begin to understand once we're saved. Do you realize that? It's like, I've heard even people say, well, that really is a doctrine for the church. In other words, those who've already had that experience. So, uh, and I've even heard of people who've used this as an excuse to not to receive Christ, that they're just not chosen. Uh I've heard it as like an excuse not to share the gospel for sure. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's very common, very common. Um, I remember one uh, wonderful Bible teacher, she gave an illustration of um, you're walking into heaven and on, on one side of the, the big archway over going into heaven, it says, all who will may come. And then you walk through that and you turn around and you look at the gate and it says the chosen above it. Mm. So, you know, both are true. We can, anyone can everyone the call goes out wide and far to everyone Mm -hmm. everyone and then it it will be those who are chosen that will come into the kingdom Hmm. that's a really good point um i love that illustration too i've never heard that before and i feel like that so if if we take god's word and he does elect us he he predestines us then do we then not have any free will and like what our choices even matter at that point another $64,000 question, as they used to say. I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, Let me read a quote by Wayne Grudem, who, you know, is a real scholar, and he wrote that book, Systematic Theology, that we quoted earlier. Um, Let me read you something that he has written here. Um, We aren't forced to make choices contrary to our own will. We ultimately do what we desire to do, making choices a part of what it means to be a human being in God's image. For we imitate God's own activity of deciding to do things that are consistent with his character. But that does not mean that God has nothing to do with our choices. Do we want to insist that God, our infinitely powerful, wise creator, cannot influence, mold, or shape our hearts and our desires Mm. according to his plans? In fact, if God works through our choices and desires to bring about his plan, this preserves our ability to choose willingly, while at the same time assuring that our choices will be in accord with what God has decided and ordained would happen. Wow. God God ordains us to choose Christ voluntarily. He does. He does. Isn't that a a, a very succinct statement there? Yeah. Um, But Delaine, I want to ask you, and I'm sure our listeners would be calling to mind verses like 1 Timothy and 2 Peter about our Savior who wants all people to be saved, to come to the knowledge of truth. And then 2 Peter, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So Delaney, how do those verses then fit with predestination? Yeah, yeah, that that's what makes this such a thing you got to wrestle with. But I, I think two things about these passages. First, I think that there is a mystery about God that will only be revealed in heaven. Um, second, 
I think it's really clear from these passages that the heart of God is for everyone to be, to be saved, but there is a like a dual will of God that not everyone will be saved. And so I think this reveals his heart, but there's more to his will that we don't know and that we don't understand. And so the heart of God is grace. He doesn't want people to perish. I feel like we can't stress this enough. Like if he wanted, if he wanted people to perish, why even send Jesus? Mm -hmm. And so one of the, one of the tenets that I believe in is called, it's something called limited atonement. Maybe you've heard of it, but it say, say those words again, limited atonement. Okay. All right. Which maybe I should have put this as a definition in here, but I'll explain it kind of. Um, so it, it means that salvation is not inclusive to everyone. If, if you, if you did believe that salvation was inclusive to everyone, then you would be a universalist. So like everyone in the whole world for, for all everybody, time. everyone yeah, would sure, be that's saved. That's a universalist. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. everyone is saved. And it kind of no matter what you believe in. Right. Um, And so in this debate of predestination versus free will, what you're saying is that either God limits salvation or man does. And I believe just knowing my sovereign God, that God is the one who limits salvation and not man. So I think there's also really this tension and and a unity between these two concepts. But scripture is clear about the heart of God in the Bible, that his desire is for no one to perish. And, And I also think that you should think about the beauty of this. That God has chosen you. And I remember vividly the first time that I learned about this doctrine and I was talking through this with my mom and my mom said this to me. She said, Delaney, how beautiful is it that God chose you out of everyone he could have chosen? He chose you. And so just stop and think about that. Yeah. Like he chose you, Bev. Like he chose me. It's profound. And it gets me through a lot of hard days. (laughs) I, a hundred percent. And so, you know, he chose dead, depraved and doomed you. And you have been chosen by our most holy God. This is just the most beautiful statement. And so when it comes to this doctrine, I think our minds really need to shift to thanksgiving and praise to God. Good point. For Mm. A, even choosing some of us to be saved Mm -hmm. and B, for choosing me to be saved. Mm -hmm. Like in all of this, we should see the love that God has for people. His, his, his mercy is just mm-hmm. abounding. His grace is abounding that we would deserve death and that he would give us grace instead. And so Bev, this whole topic has just been amazing. I've loved talking about this, but could you just really sum this up for us into some like major takeaway thoughts? I'd love to. Well, this is from an article from last year's Women's Bible Study. Um, It had an excellent article from Lesson 2 when we talked about Ephesians. Mm -hmm. Um, So go back to that, Lesson 2. Go to the QR code. Yeah, United in Christ. Code. Code, we got you. Yep, and read that article. It's by Wayne Grudem again. It's excellent on this. He really is... uh, very smart, and he can think through these deep issues. I feel like this is my favorite thing that he does. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. He, so, but first thing we can learn: what have we learned here? Election is based on it, nothing good in us. Our faith, like our faith, um, that would be the beginning of salvation by merit. So, this is actually one of his quotes: "Election based on something good in us, like our faith." would be the beginning of salvation by merit. So that really answers the question I had so many years ago. Well, isn't faith a work? Mm. It's a gift. Yeah, that no one can boast. No. Election, secondly, election is meant to give us joy and comfort in our lives. Do not doubt your worth. Do not doubt his love, Mm. his unconditional love. Third, election is essential 
if we want to glorify God and give praise to who it is due, not to me, and that I was clever enough, smart enough, humble enough, whatever it might be, to yeah. choose him. Right. Oh, no. we got to give praise to where it's due, mm-hmm. and it's not to me. It's to him alone. It gives him glory. Mm. And fourth, our choices and free will matter. Yeah. But God can indeed influence and we'll still, we still, though, have responsibility for our decisions. That's mm-hmm. a big deal right there um, to know that we really, we will be held accountable for those decisions. 100%. But I certainly want to believe that God is in my decisions. Mm. We pray for that. Like exactly. if you think about it, I pray that God would change my desire to right. be away from disobedience. How else could he say to us in the Psalms, I will give you the desires of your heart. Mm. He's the heart changer. He knows your heart yeah. and he can change the desires of your heart. Exactly. And mm-hmm. he can change the desire for himself. Amen. And for your need and of I salvation. And I pray that he does. <laughs> yes, exactly. And then finally, we are actually encouraged as we evangelize because the promise of some being predestined it doesn't put you know squelch evangelism it should just put us out there with an excitement knowing that when the gospel is shared god's people he is going to cause that uh spiritual conversion like you start out saying it's 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 a spiritual thing that happens. We can't make that happen because we're dead in our sin. Yeah. There are still some who need to be saved. Many. 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 And they're in your family, listeners. They're in your neighborhood. They're in your churches. Yeah. They are people you know. They are, I mean, you can go on mission trips and, and share it there as well. Mm-hmm. The need is so great, it, you can't uh, exhaust it. Yeah, and you don't know who's been chosen, so you need to share the gospel like everybody is chosen. Exactly, exactly. You look like everyone is, and go for that, and um, you leave the results to God. They say that all the time in evangelism. You mm-hmm. share the gospel, and there's something about sharing that gospel <laughs> It's not like, uh, here's instructions after you've had surgery. No. It is, you share the gospel, and God does something spiritual and supernatural. Because he awakens us. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah. I want to pray, though. I think because that's this very is appropriate. A, this is a heavy topic, so let's pray. God, right now, I just pray as our sisters are listening, that if they're just wrestling through this, maybe it's the first time they've ever heard this doctrine, that right now you would just give them a peace and a comfort that you are good and that you work all things for your good, for our good and for your glory. And so we know that you are faithful. We know that you are good. We know that you are sovereign. And so all of that transcends every hesitancy we have about this doctrine. God, I thank you for choosing some, and I thank you for choosing me. You didn't have to, but by your mercy and your love and your grace, you did. And so, God, I pray that this will just embolden us to live out who we are as an image bearer of you, and that this would embolden us to share the gospel with our neighbor, God. And so we just ask that you would just raise up all of our sisters, God, to just be, just really feel empowered to go and share the gospel with their you know, everyone in their family, just everybody, God, just give us that boldness. And so we thank you for this time today, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, it was great to be with you, sisters. Join us in two Mondays on She is Becoming.